0: Oh, hey there. Welcome to another episode of Me and My Gorgeous Husband. I'm your local sex-positive therapist, Adam Marr. Y'all, I am so excited for Mishan and I to share today's episode with you so we can finally put love languages in the trash where they belong. Burn it with fire. And finally, uh, we get to get to important things like porn names and X-Men fantasies and an interview with Mr. Exotic World 2018, Icky Muffin. (laughs) Y'all Ready? Michonne, uh so something that happens in my world of therapy land is I hear a lot about the love languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Have you ever heard <laughs> of the love languages? I heard of them. I don't know much about them because I am not world. You're about to learn a lot about them because I yeah. had to learn a lot about them. Um, so they came out, Dr. Gary Chapman came up with this in like the late 90s. Uh, it happened to be when I was like very much in the God squad and evangelical. So it was like a huge thing in my church. Um, And it's this idea that there are like five ways that people communicate and receive love, Um, which, you know, I think from looking at it from a perspective of what can you glean from the garbage I'm about to tell you about it, that's about it. Like that you could go, cool, people can receive and communicate love in different ways. But here's some of the issues I have with Dr. Gary Chapman's work, uh, number one, he's anti-LGBTQ. <laughs> Why is that not surprising? Imagine me? that. Yeah, well, so you know, I found two blog posts of his that talk about essentially, you know, how do you love your child who is is queer, uh, but get them to change their behavior and be what God wants them to be.
1: I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick. Shut the fuck up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. Um, secondly, he had someone from Focus on the Family on his podcast.
1: Yeah, I listened to it. It was painful. It
0: was painful. I listened to it too, and I made you listen to it. Yeah. Um. One of the things that like struck me as ridiculous listening to it was his argument was like um you know even within the lgbtq community there's infighting and i was like what group doesn't have infighting like there are literally dozens of churches out there because people were like i don't i don't like the way that you you drink this wine and eat that cracker
1: yeah he he definitely made a really big deal out of it he was like you know we're not We're not specifically bad for disliking the LGBTQ community. I mean, they don't even like themselves. The G's don't like the Q's, and the Q's don't like the T's. And I was like, oh, God, this dude.
0: And I I think he tried to be cute and be like, the Z's don't like the E's. Yeah, And I was like, oh, my goodness.
1: And you're right. That is a really weak argument. It's like there are endless amounts of humans who don't like each other. It has nothing to do with one specific community.
0: So, Michonne, you know, I am a reasonably smart person, and I decided to do what any smart person would do. And I said, let's look up the research, the scholarly research on the love languages. And I had Jeffrey, our intern, and I invited uh, Karen Rain, our former guest, to send me anything they could find. And they both only found the same two scholarly articles. Which was? Uh one was from a journal that uh is now non existent as of two thousand fifteen and it studied a speech class in a Midwest town. So I was like, that's not really helpful to anyone. Right? Like sure. if, if, if you're in a journal that can't even like exist for more than a few years, <laughs> you're probably not great research. Um so the other one that I looked at was from an article uh, in 2018 from the Journal of Human Sciences and Extension. And, you know, they found that teaching people that there are different ways to uh, express love and feel love, help people learn more about themselves. But there was uh, not enough evidence to conclude that partners would modify their own behaviors to accommodate their loved one's love language. So essentially, oh. you can learn it, but that's not going to change. And that's because this isn't built on uh, social science or anything like that. This is just Dr. Gary Chapman's own brouhaha that he came up with. So, you know, I, I, I'm going to get into the beef that I have with the love languages. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. One of them being, um, you know, people kind of are who they are to a degree. Like, you are going to, to be an introvert. That's True. unlikely to change unless you have some <laughs> major head trauma. Right, no. No. Right? That's this, this going to be who you are. And then it'll probably get worse. <laughs> so uh, the idea that like, oh, my love language is is going out and doing things with you and having adventure. If that's not part of who you just naturally are, you're really going to have a hard time doing that for me. True. Right? Someone's more asexual and their partner's like love language is physical affection. Yeah. It's really easy to be like, well, you don't love me. <laughs> Which is nonsense, right? It's not taking into account who that person is. So I, I think one of the issues, I don't think I know, one of the issues I have with the love languages is, is that it doesn't uh, it doesn't encourage people to value the love that they get. Um, so I think of it like we we can look for love in a specific packaging, and that's going to lead to a lot of frustration. But if I think you genuinely care for me, and I look at my role in our connection as finding the ways that you express that and advocating for myself when when I can, then I'm gonna have a better shot at really appreciating you and yeah. all you're doing.
1: Yeah. That was actually one of my questions. There's I guess five love languages, but what what happens when you don't really fit in those? Or Yeah. You know. Surely it, there's other
0: areas. Or when you live in a society that has taught you not to focus on things like emotional expression, right? If you were raised male in American society, right? there often isn't a great deal of uh, kind of cheering on for emotional expression. And so then these dudes get married and they're like not able to express themselves. And it's like, you don't really love me. Well, I right. had 27 years of learning to be stoic. Yeah. Because that's all I was told I could be. Um, One of the things I have beef with in the love languages is that it's pretty fixed. So it's like you take this quiz and it's like, this is your love language, right? And, you know, maybe like let's say I have a a month of really a lot of hard work. If I'm out of uh, our house often and seeing a lot of clients and doing a lot of events – I might really appreciate the acts of service you do. I might really appreciate that you have kept the house clean and you make dinner. Right. But let's say the next month is like super chill. And so I have all this time now to make dinner. I have all this time to help clean up. And now I really want like physical attention, but you've already been like, well, your, your love language is acts of service. So.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> I already met that
0: quota. Sucker. Yeah. So it it is this idea that like, uh, I think life is really chaotic. And so what we want or need is going to shift depending on what's going on in our life at that time.
1: Yeah, that's weird. We did not discuss this
0: beforehand, but that was
1: my second question. Is, is there like just one top language for a person or do they float between different things? Like how does that all add up? But I guess, yeah, I guess
0: it changes over time. Well, I mean, I'd say moment to moment for people. Yeah. But I also see people as constantly shifting. We're not that kind of static. Yeah. Yeah, what other questions did you come up with?
1: I'm distracted by Le Curiel.
0: Well, oh, my goodness. Our dog would be going absolute ape shit right A now. A beautiful
1: little squirrel. Yeah. Um. Uh. The other thing about the love languages is, so when someone comes up with some sort of concept mm-hmm. that pe- society attaches to, and then years down the road, you find out that the person who um, invented that or discovered it or whatnot uh it turns out to be a complete and total asshole like does that e- erase the validity of what they created
0: oh you know i think that's a great question like i said i think the the do that i will give the love languages is it teaches people that there are lots of ways to feel connected and good which i think is, is really healthy uh the issues that i have it's not inclusive it's fixated and it puts pressure on one person to meet your needs when in reality, you can get your needs met by your whole community. You can get your needs yeah. met by your, yourself. You get your needs net met by um, doing your own hobbies. Yeah. So it, it limits people's access to feeling connected and love and having their needs met. And so this thing that claims to help people is really garbage. Um, so I'm going to advocate for people in my community that therapy community to stop using it as a a kind of point for getting getting people to change behavior.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's I can get on board with that. For me it's like religion. It can be used for good or bad. <laughs> so I'm um, yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> I pass. You done with it? Yep. You want to do porn names?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. Can we please do porn names? <laughs>
1: So, um, in the beginning of the Bible, it stated that (laughs) your porn name would be. In the beginning, God created porn names. Yes. Um, your first pet's name,
0: uh, in combination with the first street you lived on. So. Yes. If that equals your porn name, what would yours be? Mine's is so problematic for 2019. Hmm. My name would be Brownie Raintree. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very hippie-ish. Uh, yes. Poor Brownie. That dog. Oh, <laughs> I forgot this was a dog. Yeah. She was like an outside dog because my family was like super country. <laughs> and, yeah. And like me being eight years old going out there to like feed her, she would just go wild because she was like, attention, someone's looking at me. Yeah. And then she would tackle me to the ground. Oh Yeah. So, brownie, rain tree, which, yeah.
1: Also, brownie sort of implicates you in a particular type of fetish, which is it's a lot.
0: I'm the a, scat man. Yeah, it's a lot of assumption. <laughs> you remember when I talked to that guy on Grindr who was in into scat to, like, understand more about it?
1: <laughs> yeah, not, the, not singing,
0: but no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, scat play. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hi, like... I do a lot of sex positive work and therapy. Can I ask you some questions about scat play? And he was like, "Yes." And I was like, "What kind of loafs do you like?"
1: Hmm. And
0: he likes <laughs> them healthy.
1: Yeah, well, I could imagine that's the only answer.
0: No, I, Michelle, I, I refuse
1: people, to believe that even people in scat want someone to eat a ton of Mexican you food are, and just blast them. You with are
0: liquid. limiting sexuality, and I'm not here for it. <laughs> so go get a go get a job in the Trump administration. <laughs> I'll
1: be there on Tuesday
0: with them in court. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be like, "Look, I don't know about all the gays, but I'm married to one. He's a real asshole. Yeah. Yes, they should be able to be fired. <laughs> yeah, I like to. I'm a really clean person. I like to believe that that doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not for you, but for people, yes. Um, yeah, I love asking people on Grindr about like their fetishes. Yeah, I mean, where else would be better? Some people are really into like, they're like, oh, this is so cool. I've never, never even thought about talking about it. It's so much better than like other folks who are like, oh no. I'm like, you're literally on an app to have connections. Many of those being romantic or erotic and you don't know what you want.
1: Yeah. And that Sky guy, he knew what he wanted. Yeah, His profile he, picture was just like a toilet seat hooked yeah. to three leg chairs.
0: He knew it was up. He rigged a device. He was ready. And he went to Home Depot on a Saturday, Machan. That is <laughs> dedication. That is a layer of hell that I will never want to go to. Yeah.
1: So your porn name. Oh. Um, mine is Major Mayo.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which a- accurate. Yeah, I was gonna say surprisingly <laughs> accurate.
1: You are uh like the to- producer. I like to r- roll around in a tub of mayonnaise. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Just kidding.
0: <laughs> you make me wear a Hellman's costume. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Mar- Mariah, what would your porn name be? Snowball Rockwood. Snowball Rockwood. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah, I'm going to be Snowball Rockwood. I mean, Snowball is the thing. Yeah. Rockwood sounds Whoa, like what a famous Snowball, actor. Goldfish? No, a giant. Samoa, dog. oh, a giant white Samoa, which is a cookie. Yes, the Girl Scouts sell them. Yeah, Samoas. Mm. I was gonna say, right? That's a cookie. Or that's that, that guy who played Aquaman.
1: No, 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 that's Jason Moma. <laughs> Actually,
0: her name was Snow Bear. Snow Bear. Oh, it's French.
1: Up, uh, <laughs> yes, B E R T. <laughs> Snow Bear, Madame Snow
0: Bear. Madame Snow Bear is here for you. Just suis très, très, très. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, my panties just got moist Yeah Majant, I'm super excited because we have a very lovely human being here with us today He yeah, is, he's not so bad He is Mr. Exotic World 2018, meaning he was the king of boylesque uh-huh. Mr. Icky Muffin Hey y'all <laughs> Royalty. Um, <laughs> I mean, sup. Yes. So um Iggy, you were like a big deal in the burlesque world.
2: Yeah, I mean I guess so. Uh um, I did a I, thing. I guess so. I did a thing and I did it okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I made toilet paper magic.
0: You did. Oh my For folks who don't know, just go look up Icky
2: Muffin stuff. Look up Dick Cat, and you will know exactly what we're Absolutely. talking about. Absolutely, yeah. 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 My most prolific piece is definitely di- uh, Cats or Dicks. Yeah, And uh, it's a stripper storytelling of a cat who's up to no good, um, basically destroys everything on stage, and knocks a bunch of shit over. It's
0: great. Yeah. And you do it beautifully because, like, your expertise is the lira. I'm sorry,
2: I couldn't hear that. What did you? Your did expertise. You, how did you describe it?
0: Expertise. Beautifully. I'm talking about beautiful. Yeah, oh, Matt too. <laughs> he missed. <laughs> um, but you you do lira, and you do it fast. Like you spin.
2: Yeah, yeah. One yeah. of my monikers over the years has been the Texas Tornado. Um, <laughs> for a while, a I was trying to do this thing. with six-pack and a side of ribs, but, like, I'm, like, in my late 30s now, and, like, it, th- that that's, is kind of questionable. I was gonna say, it's being generous. <laughs> yeah, late 30s. Real generous now.
1: <laughs> it does
2: get more difficult. Yeah, I like burritos and cupcakes too much. You do love burritos. I sure do. That's, like, what you're known for in our circles. Yeah, yeah. in most circles, you know— um, Going back years, like, I, I am kind of obsessive about what I eat and when I eat it, and that like, I really like consistency. It gives me control in my life, and, and this is not to say that I'm like, I am so healthy and I eat all the right things. I mean, it could just be that five days a week for three years, you know, I have chipotle for lunch and then a bowl of Schlotsky's broccoli and cheese soup for second lunch, um, it's, and that's just how I keep yeah. my life together. It's, he
0: does that before he returns the ring. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There there, has, there, used to be like a Deadpool to see like when I was going to accidentally shit on everyone while spinning. <laughs> but so far, we've been good. So it's all good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, jokes, some on, bets.
0: jokes on you, friends.
2: <laughs> that's right. Do <laughs> you always bet
0: on yourself for never?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> just absolutely. Rake it in hand over fist. Well, if you're we talking about throw up, though, I, I, there was a period of years when I really first started performing where I would walk off stage, and everyone who had performed with me previously knew to have a trash can ready. Yeah. um, Because it was coming out, one way or another. When you spin that fast. Yeah, well... Or nerves. uh, It's actually kind of a mixture of the two, because like, when you spin really fast, the fluid inside your ear also starts to move and rotate, and when you stop spinning, when you come off of the apparatus and you're expected to stand still... That fluid is still spinning, but you are not. So you, so that's what actually makes you nauseous. And then you breathe differently. There's adrenaline because of the audience reaction, stuff like that. And at and that all,
0: time. All the while making sure your balls don't slip out of I, a very I, tiny piece of fabric. You that, know, like secret.
2: producers like super hate it when your nuts slip out. Um, so, you know, we have these, we have safety panties and sometimes there are more <laughs> safety panties depending on what may or may not happen. So, wow.
0: I love it. So for people who don't know what burlesque is or never
2: been to a burlesque show, how would you describe that to them? What is it like? Amazing. Um, (laughs) No, so, you know, burlesque takes so many different forms, especially with the onset of neo-burlesque, this resurgence of burlesque in the the mid-'90s. It has just taken all these different avenues. So burlesque used to be, Um, You know, the pin-up look, old Hollywood throwbacks, things like that. Lots of ostrich feathers. Absolutely. (laughs) Feathers and rhinestones and glove peels and stocking peels and things like that. And, you know, now people are just a little bit more inventive with it. Um, Not to say that there's – it's a – Anything that was done before is less great. It's just yeah. an expanding the absolutely. genre has expanded. Yeah. So, so there's like spooky burlesque. Oh, there is definitely spooky burlesque. There's nerdless. There's just all these different avenues where people are expressing what they're doing in different ways and kinda owning their bodies, their sexuality, their storytelling. And they we all have this opportunity to have absolute agency over what we're creating. I've seen online Fraggle Rock burlesque. Oh. Absolutely. And I was like, I'm here
0: for it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm a real Wembley. So. <laughs> I'm into it. When it comes to uh creating a set, uh like what is your
2: your layout? Do you start with music or do you just have an idea of what you want to do and then find music to fit it? Uh you know it, it can it can kind of go either way. So, you know, I do a lot of um Thematic shows, you know, like someone will ask me to do a White Rabbit number for Wonderland, or I will be creating an act for a Fifth Element show or something like that. And so in that case, I may have a character, and most of my best prolific acts originated that way because I just got really into it. I happened to find music that felt write, and then I just get super obsessive about it. But, you know, I'm a, a person who sits there watching hours of brain-numbing television with my phone on hand and shazamming commercial music and music in the Vampire Diaries or the Royals or some sort of thing, and usually I'll have a playlist running that's like music that I would or want to perform to, yeah. and if something aligns, then I'm like, this is perfect. Let's do it.
1: Nice. Do you have other apparatus that you
2: use, or are you just a lyric guy? <laughs> um, not really. Uh, I have I have taken classes to do other things, but my confidence usually gets the best of me, and I think I can take higher level classes, and maybe I am ready for. And then, you know, I end up hanging from one wrist, nearly breaking it from a silk 15 feet off the ground. And, you know, it kind of, like, stops the classes. So I try not to do that to instructors that I respect. And they also appreciate that I stay in my own lane. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, Icky, a lot of burlesque is about being sexy. And it brings to me, like, this question of, like, what does it even mean to be sexy?
2: You know, I think what sexy is is so personal and that's part of the proliferation of all these different genres and avenues that burlesque can take I mean if you watch a nerdlesque show versus a classic burlesque show uh, versus like spooky burlesque show people are idealizing what is sexy in all these different ways and maybe that's Faux masturbating with with the crucifix and covered in in uh corn syrup blood or that's, that's Michonne's version yeah. of sexy. Yeah. Or maybe it's just like this adorable creation, you know, like an homage to superheroes and it's not classically sexy, but it's still sexy. Uh we, we just all take it a different way. Yeah. I think I think of it a lot. When I talk with
0: people about developing a sense of a sexual identity, it's, like, just being seen and celebrating
2: it. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, the in television and movies and things like that, like, we are indoctrinated that sexy is this one form and flavor.
0: Yeah. You have to be, like, magazine sexy.
2: Right. Magazine sexy. And if you're not, then you should actually be embarrassed. Yeah. You should be, like, concerned. You should cover up. And, you know, burlesque is a celebration of not that. True. And,
0: I think about this, Michonne, you can probably speak to this some too from your modeling days, how much kind of like taking sexy images or or performing sexy is really about these really intricate ways of holding your body or face that are really unnatural. No, yeah, it's true. You you try
1: (laughs) a thousand different things from different angles with different lighting and different filters, and you hope that four of those 1,000 things work really well. And that's the one thing that gets put forward. Uh, which is sort of a distortion of reality yeah. in a
0: lot of ways, I did a boudoir shoot with my friend Elizabeth from toward boudoir, and um she like gave me like the basics she was like when you 're like laying on your arm, you have to act like you 're holding feathers in your fist. So you can't be, like, a hard fist, like, I'm holding up all my body weight. This yeah, feels yeah. awkward. Not that
2: there's anything wrong with a hard fist. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, holding feathers. So there's yeah. all these, like, little tricks. And I think for for lay folks looking at it, they're like, why can't I do this thing? And I'm like, oh, because it's so much work to
2: take a a living, breathing moment and make a 2D, 2D yeah. image of it. And one thing, too, I think about sexy is I think – how you relate to your own confidence is really important, and that is not always authentic. You know, um, yes. like on the burlesque stage, I think what is what is an absolute paradox and amazing and beautiful is. These women that I, that I perform with or in shows will be the most powerful, sexualized, self-sexualized beings on stage. Like, they will just exude confidence and drip sex. And backstage, we are all just some different form of potato laughing about fart jokes and, like, the weird things that yep. kind of, like, get wedged yeah. into our asshole by accident and where yeah. we find rhinestones the next day. I, I— <laughs>
0: Think of burlesque in a form of, like, a way to play with a different part of yourself. Like, some yeah. people might do this in their kinks, right? So they might, like, dom or sub and get to, like, express some part of themselves that doesn't get to see the light of day often. Yeah. I think that happens for people who, like, get into furrydom.
2: Yeah. And then yeah. burlesque
0: is just another form of that. You're just doing it on a stage, yeah.
2: sharing it with people. Yeah, and I think I, I think a lot of people who get into burlesque... There's some parts so at some point in their life they really want to be seen and they want to be seen in a sexualized way, in a sexy way, and have power over that. And a lot of it I think, you know, stems from some level of insecurity at some point. And it's about like taking control and creating that persona that you want. And there's so much comfort in that. I mean, there's nothing more exhilarating than walking on stage and transforming, and that's what we do. I mean, yeah, like, you know. see someone practicing in their living room or practicing in a, in an aerial studio surrounded by small children trying to, like, uh, do their weird little thing and, you know, not be a creeper, and then you see them come alive on stage with the lights and the audience and, and the man, crowd.
0: I think you... Specifically, really do because, like you, you really put a lot of attention to your look. So you'll like do full makeup, mm-hmm. you'll pull out a wig, yeah, you'll, you'll be rhinestone into the gods,
2: <laughs> to the gods, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. It's like every time I do an act. I will have some moments during the routine where I'm I'm truly in the moment and I'm self-aware. Like when I first started performing, there was a lack of awareness. Like, you know, the, it's like the, the bell would go off. I would come on stage and then it was over. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd watch my video and I'm like, oh, that was kind of cool. But now that I've, I have more experience and I'm more comfortable and confident, yes. I go out on stage. Shit just happens. Things that actually are going wrong, like I'm ahead of my music or I'm behind my music, I'll fill that space with a thing I've never done before that's just, like, teasing and being playful with the crowd. And then I'm like, that's actually what people are going to remember from this routine. Yeah. When I, like, killed time by, like, swatting a little bell hanging from my Yeah, dad.
0: <laughs> I love it. So what would you say is some advice to people looking to start in burlesque or people who are looking to express their
2: sexuality and maybe a healthy risk? Uh, You know, the first step is go to lots of shows. I hear a lot. I hear a lot of people, and I don't get messages sometimes, people asking me how to get started, and they've maybe been to one show, and it was like one show by one producer, one time, and they were like, this is really cool. We'll go to everything. Yeah. Like, taste all of the flavors. Get out there. Be a part of the community, because, you know, there is this kind of opposition to people just like showing up and being like, I have arrived, I'm ready to perform. You know, like there is an expectation in burlesque because it is community that you are going to be an active, willing participant. So you have to care. Yeah, you have (laughs) to care. You have to be friendly. You have to know people. Nobody wants to work with a bitch. And you can be super fucking talented but if you are hard to work with we're not getting paid enough in burlesque to put up with that bullshit.
1: Are there any unexpected challenges that you've encountered uh, being a male in sort of a female-dominated uh, art form?
2: You know, I haven't really experienced a lot of that. But part of it is I, I feel like I am the a super friendly, non-threatening male backstage, yeah. you know. Um, I picture you being like Miss Ingenuity. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I well, maybe, yeah. yeah. And you just put that, it together. Like, okay, like, yup. okay. I can see that, and I want the sash now. But uh, you know, I think being a male in that community, you got you have to be respectful. So right. you have to be respectful of women. You have to be respectful of the limitations that women have. So for example and not everyone agrees with this but the the pasty thing right mm-hmm. so um you know, women are required to cover their nipples, and that's like a TABC thing, and that is in most states, and depending on where you are in the country, the rules might even be more strict. So some of the blue laws in other states are like, the entire underboob must be covered and right. all sorts of things like that.
0: Please tell me there's like a law that says underboob. under-boob.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know. Underboob is the is the actual phrase, That'd but now I'm, I'm curious. But
0: Your hind teat.
2: But as a male performer, um, yeah, when I first started, I didn't wear pasties. I didn't cover my nipples, and I was like, what? I could just walk around everywhere like this. But, you know, there are female performers and there are trans performers who all have to operate under different rules and guidelines. And yeah. we should be in lockstep with them. Yeah,
0: I actually like it when you have your pasties on.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. you know, now that I, I my costumes are more than just, like, gay underwear, I got at a gay underwear store. Um, <laughs> I used to be. Used to, <laughs> some guess, shitty brand you know, yeah. listed across the front. In my head, it was just like...
0: The worst, like low, lowest oh, rent.
2: honey, it was like like I took a Sharpie and I like scratched through the C and 2 logo on some <laughs> fairly unflattering <laughs> underwear. Um, you know, and now it's different. Now I have like full costumes and I put yeah. effort into my look. And, you know, honestly, I think that the pasties and the sparkle just they kind of add to the ambiance. And that's kind of the the look and the aesthetic that I'm going for anyway. So it's fine.
0: I would imagine that because you are such a uh, powerhouse and sexual being, like when, when you're performing, that there could be a lot of folks who have never maybe been attracted to someone who is uh, a male body. Oh. That, that could probably create some interesting situations.
2: Yeah, so it doesn't really surprise me now. But when I first really started performing and, and creating some of my more like noteworthy acts, you know, a, a real common theme that would come up is I would I would walk off stage and you know when you get booked in a show, one of the expectations is that you go around and you talk to people and you're courteous yeah. and friendly and you take pictures with people in, and you're in, nice in
0: your costume in
2: your costume yeah, and you're still on. And I've learned some things about that, like, you know, I should not walk around in a thong because whether it's right or not, there there is just so many people who will take liberties on what they can and cannot touch, Absolutely. you know? So you kind of have to create like a little bit of a walled garden around yourself to protect yourself. Uh, but one thing that was a common theme that would come up is this, you know, um, you know, for all I can tell, visibly straight couple would come up and... You know, there's a guy standing kind of lurking back and his wife or girlfriend comes up and says, oh my God, I just, they're usually drunk. Mm -hmm. I just love you so much. And you know what? My husband is like totally straight. Like he just loves the pussy, but like he just thinks you are so sexy. Can we get a picture with you? And then she steps back Uh and he steps in and then I'm like, have my arm around this big hunk of straight man and he's just like awkwardly smiling. And I'm like, okay. All right, come get it.
0: This is going to be in your spank bank later on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But when I
2: say come get it, like, also, don't touch me below the waist. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: There are limits to come get it. There are limits. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So one of the questions I have, too, here is, like, what do you want to see more or less of in the burlesque community?
2: Oh, man. Um, Polish? I mean, you know, there's there's the, the burlesque scene covers so many different styles and so many different, like, levels, right? And they're... I love seeing show like acts that have been refined, that have not like one off performances, but acts that someone keeps coming back to and making improvements.
0: Like good story, good concept that's been like. Good story, good concept. Someone's focusing on how to make the the act really looking for opportunities
2: to improve nuance. Because you know, at the end of the day, I think what really makes a burlesque act shine is the detail, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way you look at the audience at certain moments. The way you connect with your musicality. Um, some of my favorite acts, even if they're not super complicated, there will just be these moments where the performer finds like a, a subtone or beat in their music yeah. and they do something really dirty to it. And I, it's this sound that you could easily miss. I think
0: of uh, Chola Magnolia when you oh, say that. God, She's yeah. like really fantastic at taking a moment and just, like, giving a look. And I'm all like, "Yeah, oh, you're doing nothing but looking at me, and it is doing everything. We
2: were both at the um, Big, D uh, Big D Burlesque Festival yeah. this last weekend, and she, uh, we were both featured performers. And she performed Thursday night and then, I believe, Saturday night. And she is just, um, <laughs> like, she walks on stage with absolute confidence, and she makes the most lively, sometimes frightening faces that exude power, yes. and she owns it. And, you know, watching her get up there and just create these stories and connect with the audience or even more so stand on the edge of the stage and just look at the VIP tables and just dare them to look away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's power, you know?
1: Yeah, I was going to say earlier that uh, it sounds cliche for people to say – that confidence is sexy, but it really is. Like someone who doesn't fit the standard for what society might think is sexy can show an inordinate amount of self-confidence Absolutely. and just own I a med- room. And then people who do fit the standard yeah. and show self extreme self-confidence can take it to a whole nother
0: level. It's, Absolutely. I feel it's like that, that happens to me in our open relationship. Like <laughs> your love for me has me go out there swinging for the fences – <laughs> and you know sometimes she hits a grand slam and I'm all oh my like God. wham bam thank you ma'am look, look at that what I did Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm somehow going to take credit for this you should yeah, yeah, sure. I think it comes from like the security of like, knowing, like oh I'm loved and, and valued and yeah. you know some people fuck with this and that's great and some people don't and so they're going to miss out true I mean but I experienced the same thing like
1: you know I'm not everybody's cup of tea right and so, yes, you also have
0: crippling shame. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where, where well, it's what, it's but what, don't we all have yeah. a little bit of crippling shame? I mean, I mean
0: you two do. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to therapy school for a very long time. It's the shame that keeps me going to the gym. I know. Absolutely. It's the shame that makes Icky, I think, probably push a little harder for yeah, practice. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know. Uh, it's it's double edged because and, I, and I'm I'm fortunate that I don't take uh, my concerns about shame too deeply, but yeah. it is a driving factor in in a lot of my success. Yeah. Um, is like concern and fear that I'm that I'm garbage, that yeah. I'm going to be found out, that one day people are going to realize that everything I do is derivative of everything I've done, and that I'm really not that clever or creative or any of those things. Yeah.
0: Is it okay for me to talk about how we met? Yeah, sure. So we met on Grindr, Mm -hmm. and you loved the fact that my pronouns (laughs) on Grindr was bougie (laughs) garbage. And we just clicked. You just identified with that.
2: Yeah, I I did. And you know what? It's so hard, you know, especially since I I moved more into the burlesque community and most of my friends and the people that I talk to on a regular basis are performers or producers or in some way involved in this, like, body-positive, queer-identified space, I find myself relating less and less to, you know, gay men at large. Yeah. And, like, the quote unquote, gay scene and go into the gay bars on Friday and Saturday night and all of that. Like, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable there. Um, And so when I find another person who is, you know, kind of like me, who looks at the world through that queer lens and sees their place in it a little bit differently, um, that's, yeah. That's a really powerful thing.
0: I'm so glad that we became friends. I'm getting, like, emotional, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Cry, bitch. Um, it's probably going to happen because <laughs> I'm someone who lives with depression. Well, let me get my phone. <laughs> um, so you Jerk know, off I, to this later. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my yes. <best. laughs> um, so sometimes my depression wants to scoop me up, and you're like, my depression, buddy. You're one of the people that I can call, and yeah. you get it, and you let me be me, and the last time it, like – tried to like flare up you were like come on over girl and you like made me pasta sauce that you spent five hours making and then you had your uh, Alexa say a bunch of dirty things to me (laughs)
2: Just love making Alexa. So just (laughs) a a tip for you guys, if you have an Alexa, is you can really add anything you want to the shopping list. So you can just say random horrific things, and then you can just have Alexa read off your entire shopping list. This is
0: what it's like. It was like this. Sweaty balls. Alex – Yeah. (laughs) Alex has sweaty balls, (laughs) which fine (laughs) he (laughs) does.
2: Wow. Huge sweaty balls. But no, you know, one of the things that I think, what I I, I really appreciate is, you know, when, when you kind of go into that spell, you're also able to communicate, you know, things that you need, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that also helped me, like, be supportive to you because, like, without that, I'm like, I don't know what to do, I don't Mm -hmm. know what people want, I'm kind of like a little cactus on my own, and I I don't, I don't know, you know, everyone is different, and how we react to things and what we consider helpful is all different, and you were really good at communicating and verbalizing that, so it makes it very clear how to be helpful.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, not like you were responsible for me. Right. <laughs> it's just right. like, hey, I need connection and control.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, God, it just, you know, whether we're talking about depression or any other thing in our life, like that's probably one of the most valuable skills that people can have is to be able to express what they need mm-hmm. and to be able to say it and not feel bad about it and also not make that the responsibility of other people.
0: And that's, like, the wild thing to me when people want to, like, shit-talk Grinder. So there's a lot of oh, issues yeah. with
2: Grindr, but I'm like, to a degree, it's what we make it. Looking for a reason to delete this stupid app. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, like, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's just, like, trash. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you can actually use it to build community and have people that see you and care about you.
2: Well, not only that, that that reaction is built on this premise of like, the heteronormative utility of sex and relationships, right? Like that is built on this notion that what we're doing there on Grinder, or if we're meeting people and we're having sexual relationships, that it is bad and it is a holdover until we find this other magical yeah. thing.
0: How many people in our community are like so fragmented that their grinders like sixty-nine, like take a shit on me, <laughs> fist me. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. I think they're all beautiful acts for people who enjoy them. But then their tender is like, I just want 2.5 children. Yes. And I'm like, you are so fragmented. Right. Like, you can want to have both of those things simultaneously and right. be lovable still. Right. I think a lot of folks in our community, men who love men especially, like, we learn to explore our erotic self outside of our everyday self because it's too threatening to the worlds that we're in to, to have that be integrated. Right. And that can carry over into adulthood.
2: Right. Well, you know, and it and – it, And it's connected to all these other things like, you know, Okay, so uh, polyamorous polyamorous or open relationships are a lot more um, prolific in the in the gay community. But then there's also this huge section of the gay community that sees those types of relationships as less than like. Yes. Yeah. As as like, (laughs) oh, there must be a problem with you and your chosen partner if you were looking for these other things outside of it. Well, you know, like. Not everyone likes the same things. Not everyone can supply the same value in all cases and situations. And And we're self-limiting ourselves.
0: And at all times. Like, I cannot imagine being like, cool, we designed it 10 years ago. This is what this is going to mean to be in this relationship. And no matter how much we grow, we are still held to that relationship contract. Right. Right. Michonne, do you ever experience people on Grindr, like, talking-ish to you because we are more than monogamous?
1: No. I mean, I talk to very few people on Grinder, so I don't run into that. But it is weird um, or unusual to me how often people in the uh, gay community sort of push those heteronormative <sighs> values and see open, relationship, open relationships as intrinsically less, which is sort of – it's just strange to me. I mean, like, why would you try to be like the other
0: – Here's what's wild to me too is we get fetishized sometimes by like our straight friends like they see yeah. us as some like married, like quintessential little lovebird couple and I'm like yeah we have that and sometimes I want to like bang some twink yeah <laughs> this is what true. else can you yeah, say it's all the things <laughs> you
1: said it all but said like the, all.
0: the the like excitement or hope like you could see people like be like oh. I remember when we first when we first talked about being open. One of our friends, the person turned to me and said, "Don't you get him sick?" Oh, <laughs> like, <cool. laughs> true, that did happen.
1: Uh, that's there's a lot of ground to cover there. Yeah,
0: because one, I was working in uh, HIV services at the time, yeah. so I was like, "Well, I know a lot about STIs." Two, you're assuming that like people who have consensual non-monogamy or somehow more at risk of STIs. Three, I know you have an STI because you told me like mm. two months ago, right? And then the judgment's thrown on you. Yeah. Also,
1: for I am also in this relationship, so it's hard to choose one of the two people and be like, "Don't you get the other one sick?" Yeah. It's like we're we're both in this. Yeah, I mean, what if I were the be were to be the one that got him sick? What so. if Mishan
0: gave me tuberculosis? Huh? Yeah, it's yeah. a weird judgment to cast <laughs> on one half of the party. Yeah, Sorry. do you do you get? Flack from people for being more than monogamous?
2: Not really, but part of that is because of the community that I thrive in. You know, like uh, polyamory, openness, like. body positivity, a much deeper connection to your own sexuality is really common in the burlesque space. Not to say that everyone is some like, you know, polysex freak no. or whatever, but we but I mean, polysex freaks are fucking <laughs> celebrated. Yeah. We're like, "Yes, honey. You get it." Yeah. You know, like live your life. Yeah. And you know, there's this there's this freedom there in not being apologetic about what you do with your time and the relationships you foster. You know, like There is uh, nothing magical about the act of sex, you know, um, that makes it stand so much superior to any other way that you might relate to someone. It's
0: just one form of connection.
2: Absolutely. I
0: think helping people understand that there are lots of ways to intentionally connect with yourself, your environment, your friends and family, your partners, and they're all valuable. And if we value all of those just as they are and take out this hierarchy – then we have so much more access to feeling good and feeling like all the love that is available to us.
2: Well, it's it's this notion that I think is just ingrained in our society that sex represents like if you were going to put it in like a, a pie chart, it's like 40% of a healthy relationship. Yeah. And well, that's really not the case. And no. you know, when you've been married for more than a few years, like you realize, I think, that that is not the end all be all. Like the things that really matter is how you communicate about your finances, how you support each other, how you help each other act your dreams, how you give each other feedback, how you just support each other in every facet of your life. And that's really the stuff that determines how you're building a home yeah. with someone.
0: So I get a lot of folks who come to me for therapy and they say, you know, we have great friendship, we've gotten along for years, and now this person is maybe more kinky, more the monogamous, maybe they're more fluent in their sexuality. And that happened because in that partnering, they had such a secure connection, that person could finally go to some rougher edges, darker places within themselves that they've been told to feel shame about, and can finally express it. And I don't know any healthy relationship that doesn't go through this process of that closeness encourages individual risks. So both People in the relationship take an individual risk to grow, and then the relationship has to expand to hold that growth.
1: Agreed. Oh, good. Just okay. that's what's happening. So here. much. So. <laughs> I have a question about burlesque. When, uh, what inspired you, and when did that first begin? How do you decide I want to get on stage and dance?
2: Okay, so you know, when it, when it first started, I was I was working at this education company, and I was married, and it was you know. There's that moment in a relationship where you were like white knuckling through it like you're trying to make it work and it's not that that we didn't love each other or anything like that we just like when we met we were like broken people and we kind of healed ourselves individually yeah. so then it's like do we keep
0: this yeah going, and then we just what?
2: I was like you know we just didn't like each other in the same way anymore like we we couldn't be the same people in each other's lives we had lost our codependency which was like the glue that held us together and so anyway i'm like in this uh, big meeting at work and we're kicking off a new project and we did this icebreaker that was like list three things on your bucket list and one of the things on my bucket list was circus acrobatics Mm -hmm. and then I thought well why the fuck not I really don't like going home right now so I might as well go to this like aerial studio and I started taking aerial classes and that was fun and then about two weeks later a friend took me to my first burlesque show and there was this performer who's like a also, next king of, Burle- of Boylesque, who was performing Mr. Gorgeous um, from New York. And he did an aerial silk number and burlesque. And he just exuded, exuded confidence on stage, all like six foot six of him. And he did these awesome acrobatics. And I was enthralled. And I just sat there thinking, like, that, like, I want to do that. That is what I want to do. And so. Aerial became my way into burlesque because I was much better at doing aerial than I was at being uh, competent and competent on stage yeah. at the time. And so, you know, over the course of my burlesque career, I have slowly been shifting like the 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 weight of my acts from being heavily aerial to more character-driven. You know, that's just like kind of a thing that's happened. But yeah. But, you know, what was a really important thing for me when I stepped into burlesque was that I had this, like, for the first time in my life, I didn't have to owe anyone anything. I didn't have to give any fucks about what my husband thought about me or how he viewed my relationship with masculinity and femininity and how I represented myself on stage. Like, I didn't have to give any fucks about that. And that was like... A super powerful thing because I, up to that point, I feel like I've been living my life through the lens of other people. Like how mm-hmm. other people saw me. And I was just like this mirror for what other people expected. And then now I'm like, hi. This is me. I, I don't a, really care what you think.
0: I have a dick cat routine.
2: Yeah, I have a dick cat routine. I I am I'm going to I'm going to I am going to i am going to go to the, like the this big burlesque festival and I'm going to like throw a rhinestone shit at someone in the <laughs> oh, audience God. and uh you know no one can stop me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The poster child for you. <laughs> yeah. So if oh, if you were going to assign Machon an act for burlesque, what kind of act would you give? This beautiful cage. Oh
2: man, I would kind of like to see you painted orange with a fish face on, doing like a my a magic harp routine to Miley Cyrus's um, "Pablo the Blowfish" song. I love it. I was afraid this was going in a, a Trump direction. <laughs> no, you <laughs> said I'd be painted orange.
1: <laughs> oh oh yeah, I was like, ah,
2: <laughs> orange red. I'm, I'm not really sure what the magic harp is. I'm colorblind, but I mean, it's one of those. <laughs> my goodness.
1: I've had a few. Um, I used to work in aerial arts also, and have taken a few uh, workshops and classes in burlesque and whatnot. Do you do you do workshops? Do you travel and teach or no?
2: You know, sometimes. Um, usually, when I do workshops, I I do they're they're almost all aerial focused. So yeah. um, you know, my split life is on one side. I do a lot of. Um, arm balance and inversion stuff because I I taught yoga for a really long time and that was like a a big part of my life for about 10 years. And now that I've moved into burlesque, Namaste, yeah. (laughs) Namaste, y'all. But now with uh, burlesque and aerial, what I am most known for is the aerial component. And so aerialist, you know, are more likely to really want to work with me. I'm less comfortable teaching people floor stuff and, like, non aerials stuff because I have so much insecurity you, about my own you skills. You say
0: this, but we did a show back in October, so we did a Golden Girls seance.
2: It was mortifying. <laughs>
0: that was so mortifying. <laughs> and we had Icky dress up like Blanche. Yeah, it was good wig. <laughs> and did so, a chair number. And it was incredible. Mm. It was fun. People were yeah. still into it.
2: I was so out of my comfort zone. And you know me. You know yeah. how I, I i have a bar that is like a bar that I've set for myself. And, you know, have you ever seen that there's this thing that goes around on the internet every now and then, usually by people working on creative stuff. And it's like the the seven steps of the creative process.
0: <laughs> I have not. Because, it's something
2: along the lines, it's like the timeline of, uh, of creating something creative, right? And yeah. it's like, this is shit. I am <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Or like, I've got a great idea. I'm amazing. I am shit. This is shit. Everything I do is shit. It's all right. Okay, that wasn't so bad. Something along those lines, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just kind of how I am. So, you know, even when I am totally confident in what I'm doing, I still am like super overly concerned about being garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I'm not as confident about it, then I'm just like a fucking train wreck.
0: I think about it in terms of uh, surrounding yourself with people who aren't just gonna fangirl, but can, like, compassionately tell you, like, what's going well and what's
2: not going well. Absolutely. On. And that's like, you know, um, I have some students and friends who, you know, they were my aerial students, or I'm kind of their burlesque dad in some way, and we're just really close, and I give them feedback, and, you know, I only have, like, maybe one person who will give me the level of feedback that I try and give to other people. And that's uh, Miss Malicious in Dallas. And she'll look at my stuff and she'll go, well, that's really stupid, right? There. That doesn't make any sense. And I'll, I'll call her after smoking a bunch of weed and be like, girl, I got this great idea. What if we do this, this, and that? And she's like, well, no to all of that. But also... It's really late. Why are you calling me (laughs) right (laughs) now? You know, and, and, you know, that's really great because, like, the the worst kind of feedback is, is generic, nonspecific feedback. Uh, it no, is not like, helpful. When
0: people are like, you're awesome.
2: Yeah, it is no not helpful at all to be told you're awesome. Even if something is awesome, yeah. there is always room for improvement. There is always nuance you could add in. You could say, like, I really love that. This is what I love about it. But yes. here is something that you could do that would make this even better.
0: My note mm-hmm. to fa- fangirls out there who are listening, if you want to tell someone how much you love them, Pick something very specific about what you just witnessed and talk about that. Yeah, right. generic feedback is my wheelhouse. But
2: <laughs> but also in the in terms of feedback, um, if you have constructive feedback or or feedback to improvements, make sure it is solicited. Yeah. So if you're like a random person <sighs> Gosh, in the audience, yeah. do not walk up to a performer and be like, you know, what would have been even better? Yeah. Uh, because you know two, what? Two. Like, rhinestone shit. Yeah. When we are, like, running on our after-performance high and some random person starts giving us, like, unsolicited feedback, um, we will drag you backstage.
0: Yeah. We will drag you. And not you. in a good way. No. Uh, no. Icky, you do a lot. You have some stuff coming up. A yeah. lot of your stuff's in Dallas.
2: Yeah. Most of – you know, I was just – I was in Dallas for so long, and um, I just – that's where my Burley family is and my troupe that I still perform Burley with. Burley family. I yeah. it. <laughs> it And um, be that's where it all is. And so and then I, I taught yoga there for a long time. So I've got, you know, a, a Burton Burlesque show in early October. October 5th. Mm-hmm. And then the following weekend, one of our troupe members, Honey Hoolala, um, she recently had breast cancer surgery. And so this whole show and the gigantic, amazing raffle around it is all to raise funds to help uh, pay for her surgery and all the things that happen when you have breast cancer and no health insurance
0: yeah and that's on October 12th
2: yeah and then uh, you know arm balance and handstand workshop in November. November 9th. Yep. I'm it, so glad you have these dates, girl. <laughs> yeah, she's very on it. And then uh early, the second Saturday of December, which is December 14th. Yeah, my troupe were doing a Buffy the Vampire Slayer what? show.
0: What? I want to come to
2: that. Yeah, you absolutely Can should. I we, come be yeah, with we your special guest? It'll be great. Oh,
0: perfect. Yeah. I'm going to like mark that out. And then Nearly Naked Nutcracker?
2: Absolutely. Oh, no, wow. so,
0: you know, Beautiful Nearly title. Naked
2: Nutcracker, is kind of a staple in the burlesque scene in Dallas, um, and it they took, like, a break last year, but it's coming back. And, you know, it's just like the story of the Nutcracker retold loosely through the art of strip and Tease. I love it. Well, Icky, where can people find you? Uh, you know, um, if you type in Icky Muffin in Facebook or on the Instagrams, uh, you will fucking find me.
0: Use <laughs> <laughs> everywhere.
2: everywhere. Everywhere.
0: Well, I am so glad that you came and joined us this morning. There was a lot of things you could be doing. Yeah. And you hit a new low. This thank is you. Yeah. great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It was awesome. You know. So
2: I have friends in low places. <laughs> Get on and your m- knees, bitch. I was gonna say <laughs> it makes it
0: easier for fun. Well, thank you all for listening. michonne has got nothing as usual. Perfect. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> Well, Michonne, yes. I have a question for you. Shoot. Which X Men <laughs> would you like to bang? I can pick more than one. Oh, my. You're doing like an X Men orgy? I mean, maybe not an orgy. Is it an X Men three way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: I love to get in on a couple.
0: I feel like I already know where you're going because you're obsessed with one of these people. I feel like I'm going to be a Gambit rogue guy. Oh, my God. I think you just want Gambit because he's also from the swamp and you'd feel very seen. (laughs) He's Louisiana, right? He is. How do y'all say it? Louisiana? I don't. Louisiana? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure. (laughs)
1: But he's from the swamps. He is. He's supposed to be a New Orleans guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then rogue. Georgia? I don't know. I mean, you know, Southern Belle, Everybody's
0: whatever. Into her. Why do you want to why do you want to have a three way with them?
1: They're a good couple. Well, she's my favorite female <gasps> character. She's my favorite. Yeah, I know.
0: Do you think I'm like her?
1: Yes. I do take the power <laughs> from men. Always wearing
0: gloves. Yes. Super annoying. <laughs> take off the goddamn gloves. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, How about you? What would you what would you want your position to be at that? Oh. Are you gonna be like the watcher? Do you wanna be like the Hell no. stage? <laughs> I ain't
1: watching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get nothing out of watching. Yes have a hard time making it through a movie. <laughs> you're going to, like, fall asleep. If it's anything like you watching a movie at the house, you're going to fall asleep. Yeah. Ten minutes into it. I think that happened last night. Yeah, it did. I left you on the couch. You
1: did. I woke up sitting up in total darkness at, like, 2 a.m. I was very confused. I didn't know what happened. I like, I can't deal with this. I thought I'd been abducted. <laughs> it was unsettling. Um. Yeah, yeah. no. I'll t- yeah, full taking part. Yeah. Leading
0: the show. I think I would, like to maybe have sex with Beast. Oh. Yeah. Hairsuit lover. Just because, like, I love to dominate masculinity. Oh. Yeah. And he's also smart, so he would, like, get it. Right. Like, True. I could dominate Wolverine, but then, like, every now and then his, like, what, alloys? What are his things made out of? Oh, adamantium? Yeah, I don't know, because I'm get not an <laughs> <laughs> Um Those things would, like, pop off, because he'd be like, I don't like this. But Beast, Beast would get it, like... Mm, okay, yeah. he'd be into some like high fantasy. I can follow you there, and mm. I would feel really good about it. Yeah, and then I could like braid his hair, and he can hang upside down. So that just what? creates more possibilities.
1: That is, yeah. uh, it's endless. That Spider Man situation. Oh my gosh! Thanks for listening to another episode of Me and My Gorgeous Husband.
0: I am gorgeous. True. Keep following along, and new episodes will be coming soon. All over your face. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Me and My Gorgeous Husband is produced by Mariah Gossett, Adam Marr of Moon Tower Counseling, and Machan Fontenot. That's me. Yeah, that is you. Show me that beautiful butt. (laughs) Tag team. Back again. We'll be around, I guess, next week or sometime.
1: Tune back in.
0: Who knows?